Greetings from the Sacramento Saints. Uh, they're always, it seems like I'm having them come to me frequently or someone, the young people saying we heard this and we heard that and testimonies like we heard tonight that are going around the world. You know, you never know just how many people that go to church and don't hear testimonies like that. I spoke with professional Christian musicians that go to churches and they give their testimony and people often say, I've never heard testimonies like that. We don't hear that, but we hear it here. And going out through the air, they need these kind of testimonies. I'd like to begin the message this morning and or this evening in Philippians 4, starting at verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our benefits and blessings are so great. We often, at least I do, feel the lack of ability to even express my thanks and gratitude. I sometimes question if we're really thankful at all compared to the greatness of God and the magnitude of God. And we begin to study what's in heaven prepared for us. Sir Michael Costa, a famous composer and conductor from Naples, was rehearsing with a vast array of instruments, hundreds of voices, the thunder tone of the organ and the roll of the drums, the sounding of the horns, the clashing of the cymbals, and the mighty chorus sang out. The piccolo player said to himself, in all this music, it matters not what I do. So he ceased to play. Costa stopped and flung up his hands, and it all became still. And he says, where's the piccolo? You see, he was sensitive to the sound that he expected to hear. And he was missing even the smallest instrument. God, likewise, has a sensitive ear. And misses the very, every voice not lifted in praise and thanksgiving. He listened to all of us. It makes a difference whether we thank God or not. It makes a big difference. We often feel like the piccolo player that it does not matter. Look at among the, the choirs of angels in heaven singing and the, the saints singing on earth and all the sound of the glory of God. What can we do? For us to say thank you, the Lord seems even more insufficient in doing that than the piccolo player in the Colossal Symphony. The more one counts the blessings, the more inadequate it feels to give thanks. We can't even begin to thank God enough for all the blessings of nature and the loved ones 
let alone the gift of salvation. What is repairing in heaven an eternal life? It's hard to imagine the magnitude. Have you ever imagined someone giving something way above what you could ever imagine? Someone giving to you something you could never afford, something you couldn't imagine. Maybe it's a billionaire gave you everything you ever imagined in your life. How could you say thanks to something like that? It's beyond saying thanks. And But God has done that. The question is, how can we thank God? And that's what's been on my heart this last couple of weeks. He hears our weak prayers and thanks and counts it essential. We couldn't pay for it. It's far beyond what is possible to pay for. Certainly there are some way to express gratitude to God in a more concrete, practical way. I was reading in Colossians, the third chapter, the 15th to the 17th verse, and it, it gives us, I think, just what we need for making thanksworthy and truly vital aspect of our life. He gives us in these verses three ways in which we can be thanksworthy through thanks living. I'm going to call it thanks living because that's what we need to do. We need to be living thanks. The first way is in the 15th verse, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you have called in one body and be ye thankful. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace is one of the gifts God left with us, left with the disciples just before he went to the cross. But it's not just for them. It's a possession that all believers in Jesus Christ can have today. But it is one thing to possess the peace of Christ, and it's another thing to let peace of Christ possess us. It is the latter that Paul is urging the Colossians to do. Let the peace of Christ possess us. The degree in which we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts is a measure of our gratitude for the gift of his peace. Paul connects being thankful directly with letting peace rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ can never rule in an unthankful heart. These two couple together. They're mutual. The more thankful one is, the more the peace of Christ is in their life. The more peaceful someone is, the more thankful they are. Paul is certainly the example of this. He's writing this when he was in prison. Soon to have perhaps a a terrible, brutal death. And yet he writes of peace and being thankful. Paul was thankful in every state he was in. For the peace of Christ reigned in his heart. His was a life of thanks living. For he lived always for the end of pleasing God. He urges all Christians to pursue the path of letting the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. And that's for us today. What does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? 
Well, let Christ make the decision for us. Commit yourself to do only what is in harmony with Christ, and you will have peace. Let the experience of Christ himself be our guide. In Gethsemane, Christ's heart was in conflict. He cried out to the Father, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He feared the cross, according to um, Hebrews 5. He was in the cross. He, he knew more than we know tomorrow, by far, what he was going to be going through. But he did something very beautiful in his example that we can follow. He resolved all conflict by one of those situations wherewith we don't know what to do. We can do exactly the same thing. And that is submitting to Christ like he submitted to his father. In the context, Paul is referring to the conflict that we all face in life. So in so doing, we are giving God thanks for his grace, that thanksgiving through thanks living. Now the next verse hits a different subject here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. The word of God is just that, the word of Christ which is recorded in the Bible. Here we have another very concrete way of expressing gratitude to God by seeking to know his will. It is not enough that it dwells in our home, in a bookshelf, or on the lead somewhere, maybe in the closet. The measure of our devotion is, is the degree in which we let the word of God dwell in our hearts and minds. Paul says to let it dwell richly. We must be filled with its content. Paul does not say to, to do it now and then, but let it dwell in you. Let your heart be its home, not merely a motel. Let it reside in you and reside in you richly, not as a narrow creek, but a flowing river. Moderation is no virtue when it comes to gaining knowledge of God's word. A letter from a loved one is precious even before it's opened. I remember a few times, and maybe you have too, we'll get a letter from a loved one we haven't heard for some time. And we lift up the envelope and says, hey, look where we got a letter from. And we'll have people in the house come over and look and eagerly. It hasn't been opened yet, but we're already excited. So the Bible is precious to us, even when we don't know all what's in it. But would any boy or girl be content simply to look at the envelope? No, he'd want, they'd want to open up and see what's inside and rejoice what's there. The same with us. What Christian can be content with only a Bible but not know the riches of its content? The truly thankful heart will take full advantage of God's word and do all they can do to let it dwell richly in them.
When this is a reality, the richness of God's truth always spills out over into over poetry and, and music. The large portion of the Bible is poetry. It was written, every spiritual revival in Christian church has been accompanied by corresponding, corresponding outbreak of Christian hymns. Missionaries have used hymns to reach the world. Hymns have been a major factor in the spread of Christianity around the world. Some of the best hymns were written by missionaries and even converts of missionaries. Where the Word of God dwells richly in our hearts is filled with song. Christianity is known in the world as a singing religion because we have something to sing about. There are some religions that don't allow music. Well, we can't keep quiet. There was a while where they told us not to sing in church. That was the hardest thing of all. How can we, how can we worship God without singing? The 17th verse says, Whatsoever ye do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Like the peace of Christ and the word of Christ, the name of Christ is a resource and a standard for us to follow. This is something non-believers do not have. A non-believer is often like a butterfly. It changes with the uh, uh, situation around them, the circumstances. His language and conduct are relative to the environment. He can curse and talk, foul language, one moment, and later speak very kind and nicely the next moment. But the Bible tells us that Christians can be changed from all that. Paul gives us a principle here that helps the obedient Christian to be consistent in all circumstances. Not just where we are or how we feel. By doing all in the word and deed in the name of Christ. And notice, it is not just what we do and say in church or in the presence of certain persons. It is a comprehensive principle which applies to all life and all speeches. I remember a, a song that I, I love, a gospel song. It has a little stanza in it. It says, the man that I am when no one is watching is the man that I really am. You see, no matter where we are, there is no distinction between sacred and secular. We act the same wherever we are, friends, neighbors, in church, wherever. What does it mean to do all in the name of Jesus? It certainly does not mean that uh, we are to tack on the end of every sentence uh, in the name of Jesus. I, uh, a few, uh, several years ago, we have one of our uh, grandsons, which was very young then. We were talking long distance on the phone and got the end of the phone call. And he says, goodbye, Nana and Papa. In, the, in Jesus' name, amen. And I don't remember even what we talked about, but we remember the ending. <laughs> it does not mean that we are to make ritual out of repeat the every word and act of Jesus' name. But we need to live by Jesus' name. In other words, 
I eat this meat in the name of Jesus because I know it's okay. It's not sinful. I check everything I do. The name of Jesus stands for his total character, authority, and power, and glory. To do all in the name means to do all by his authority and approval. No matter where you are, whether you're camping, no one you know is around you, it's the same. Jesus is always watching. But I, I really think that Jesus would like to know that you'd do the same thing if he wasn't watching. To eat a hamburger in the name of Jesus is to do so knowing it is with his approval and with the conviction there is nothing uh, in the act out of harmony with the glory of Christ. No matter what we do. And in thanksgiving we can, we can do this. This principle keeps us from a moral relativism uh, in our age. We do not ask what is being done around us to determine what we're going to do. We don't ask the majority opinion. But we ask, can it be done in the name of Christ? That is, with his approval. This principle earnestly applies to the revolutionized uh, revolutionizes our vocabulary, changes everything. Is We might say we can preach and teach, and the real test comes in the home, at work, in the company of non-Christians and friends. All that is said and done, there must also meet the approval of Christ. The principle affects every aspect of life, our attitudes, and all the issues of our day. If we take a position, it must always be with the conviction that Christ approves of that. If we fight for a cause, it must be in the persuasion that the cause is for the glory of Christ. All in this opens up to the danger of subjectivity. So you may think, God wants you to do this, and in reality, he doesn't. So what do we do in those cases? This principle can only be properly obeyed by the first obeying the exhortation to lead the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We must know the word of God. We must study the word of God. And then we will know whether we're walking the will of God. There must be an objective standard to determine the mind of Christ. When we have the word of Christ as a foundation for our conviction, then we will have the peace that Christ was talking about. So thankfulness and peace is very possible in what God is, what Paul is talking about here. Paul also says that we are in all the way to do give thanks to God in Christ. For without his grace, man can do nothing pleasing in his sight. Every act and every word can be for his glory. No matter where we are, we've had opportunities in camping. When uh, a neighbor will come over hearing us singing, and we've had a chance to witness to them. We need to be missionaries no matter where we are. Do all to the glory of God. Maybe you feel like you're a long way from being thankful. Maybe you've been unthankful. Maybe you are not saved this morning, maybe this evening. Maybe you're not a 
a, not a non-believer. So you can't have the thrill and the blessings and the joy that we've been talking about this evening. You can do that this very evening, right down here at the altar. If you're saved, you can go the next step and be sanctified, consecrated fully to God. And oh, you know, I think in our age here, especially in America, I believe it's easier to make choices that are wrong because I have a right to make my choice. Then give the choice to Jesus and say, I consecrate it to you. You decide for me. I'll, I don't have a right anymore to make those choices. But that's what we need to do in order to be sanctified. And then, oh, the blessing he'll give us. There'll be joy. There'll be peace because it was God's will. Then God can fill us with his power and his spirit in our life so we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And we need those today. But don't stop there. But after you have all three experiences, there are so many blessings and experiences that God can give you. So keep seeking. We never reach the end what God can do for us. And we can have that this evening. Let's stand and sing 551. The altar is open.